This is a humble man recording. Scano, Sego, Ani, you're listening to the Red Road Podcast with Courtney Skye and Hayden King. Good afternoon, Courtney. Good afternoon, Hayden. Good evening, Hayden. Good evening. It's dark out. It's very dark out. Yeah. Oh, daylight Time savings. change. It's a scam. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I mean, uh, got an extra hour of sleep out of the deal. Because um, you were scammed out of an hour earlier this year. True. I don't know. It's sort of like time travel. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, the, yeah, it's like time travel. Yeah. Like when you get on a plane and you lose or gain three hours or whatever, five hours. <laughs> it's kind of novel because... You know, you're traveling through mm-hmm. time can into the darkness. You, you can tell you've only traveled to the prairies in BC <laughs> that those are your increments of time travel through yeah, planes. Yeah, that's right. I have not experienced 12-hour <laughs> climb changes, uh, time uh, changes. So we got the Google Maps here on yeah. uh, intervening in our podcast. Lots of congestion. Lots of congestion. We are on the red road today. It's dark, except for the tail lights. Of the tens of thousands of other cars we share the red road with. Mm-hmm. Literally a red road today. Yeah. Uh, as it is every day. A sea of taillights. There was like two good days last week where we just had a very easy commute. Yeah. Long for those days. But yeah. we also had a couple bad days of podcasting. We did. We really got screwed over by some technology. And so this, if we get this out this week will be the third podcast we've tried to get out this week. The third attempt. Third time is the charm. Yeah. So So they say. We recorded an episode on child welfare that did not uh, make it to life that we will have to re-record. And our episode about astrology got not good. It was not good. Well, I was able to read my birth chart. Yeah. Successfully. Mm -hmm. But when we recorded yours, it... uh, wasn't into it. Speaking of which, though, are you more into the astrology now? Today is the first day of Scorpio season. What does that mean? It means it's the Scorpios. This is their time to come alive. Their time. I don't know if I know any Scorpios. Who are the Scorpios? So, my favorite Scorpio um, is, well, my niece, Portia. Second favorite Scorpio is Emily, Mohawk Emily. When you guys know LaFondles on Twitter... Ah. So she is a Scorpio. Emily season. Yeah, it's Emily season. Well. But when is it not Emily season, <laughs> though, to be real? There's a lot of Emilys. Yeah, there are numerous Emilys. Um, so this is our third attempt. We don't know if this one's going to succeed because our bat- the batteries in our podcast machine are also running low. So it's just that kind of week. Yeah. So that kind of week. So we decided that we would just uh, continue on with the theme and tackle a very dark issue, which is the end of the world. <laughs> Did you see that McLean's cover of Andrew Shear and Doug Ford? Yeah, the five white Scott. men of the apocalypse. Yes, the five white men of the apocalypse. Although McLean's decided to call them the resistance. The, the resistance, resistance to truth and knowledge? That's exactly right. The yeah. truth to reality. Yeah. 
So these are five premiers, all men, all white, all who like the color blue. Uh, and, and Andrew Shear. Andrew Shear's not a premier. That's right. Andrew Shear was there as well. The next, uh, the, the, <laughs> I almost said the next prime minister. <laughs> Maybe the guy that wants to be the prime minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are resisting the Trudeau liberal carbon tax plan to meet our our as a country Canadians climate change commitment to the Paris agreement to reduce mm-hmm. uh, carbon emissions to two percent two percent to keep to keep our carbon reduce our carbon emissions forty five percent by two thousand and thirty and then fifty percent soon after and then get them down to zero because mm-hmm. the more carbon that's in the atmosphere of course the hotter the planet gets. Sorry, we're getting passed by. Uh... That's not a good sign. Nope. Is that on this side or that side? There's someone, there's one over there too on that side that's stuck there. Oh, man. Um, as you may have just heard, we just got passed by a fire truck and we are in a particularly shitty part of the highway in the sense that there is no off ramp. For foreseeable future, we do have half a tank of gas on eco mode. Let's see if we can make it work. Yeah, the uh, Google Maps is actually telling us to go backwards. Yeah, to yeah. get off the highway. <clears throat> so, welcome to the end of the world. <laughs> this is it. This is it. Um, Doug Ford, um, as you may recall, doesn't agree with the carbon tax because everything is made of carbon. That's right. Everything is made of carbon. I hope that McLean's includes that in their in their piece about the uh, the hero resistance to the carbon tax. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so countries around the world have agreed to limit uh, uh, emissions in an effort to reduce the rising temperature. We don't want it to get hotter than two degrees uh, than it already is. We're already at one degree hotter than pre-industrial age uh, now the United Nations uh, has come out with a study citing 6,000 scientific journals uh, saying we need to keep it at 1.5 degrees as opposed to 2 degrees and so even the Paris commitments are likely not going to get us there and we have 12 years 12 years to get our shit together our collective shit and uh, get those carbon emissions down, reduce the amount of heat in the atmosphere, which, if left unchecked, will lead to deforestation, uh, ocean acidification, uh, drought, forest fires, the ongoing mass extinction of all of life's, all of the planet's life, etc., etc. So, uh, yeah, that's the context. Yeah. Uh, where are we going with this? Um, I think that we were going to talk about what are our plans for the end of the world. What are our doomsday plans? <laughs> are you prepping for doomsday? Uh, yes. If you're not prepping for doomsday, um, I don't know. I guess you're not prepping for doomsday, right? I'm kind of prepping. So, I, so my grandmother is was a bit of a survivalist and was very much about food sovereignty and food security 
she is a survivor of residential school, and so her trauma is particularly linked to essentially starving as a child in the mush hole in Brantford. And so um, she always was very much about, like, you if you can sustain yourself, if you can feed yourself, um, you'll survive, and she knows it should be okay. And when my grandma was nearing the end of her life, and my grandma welcomed and was ready for the end of her life, she, um, we had one final summer with her where she was, um, able to have mobility in her speech, and, um, she told us at the end of a planting season where she didn't help us at all, but she was alive and around, that she knew we could feed ourselves, and so she knew she could go in peace because we knew how to feed ourselves. And I often say that my grandmother gave me all of the skills to survive the apocalypse, but none of the desire. <laughs> so, oh, well, there's two things there, I guess. The, <laughs> the first is, this is our second go-round with the apocalypse as Indigenous people. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course it varies from Indigenous people to Indigenous people, but I'm trying to remember the statistics. But it was something like between, in the Great Lakes anyway, something between contact and... Uh, the War of 1812, there were a dozen epidemics that mm -hmm. swept through our communities and reduced the population. According to epidemiologists, mm -hmm. between 90 and 99%. Uh, that's just from disease, tuberculosis, bubonic plague, mm -hmm. um, pneumonias, um, yeah. typhus, cholera. And um, yeah, so we have experience with surviving the apocalypse. Yeah, uh, so so one of my, um, I won't say friend, because I don't consider Cree's friends, but a Cree person that I know, um, was commenting about how many um, Haudenosaunee people there are, that there are so many of us, and that we exist in these big communities, and we kind of have an economy of scale available to us now that, like, uh, is surprising, because other nations were dispersed, or set us you know set apart or you know into broken up into smaller bands and so she was surprised that our particular experience with colonialism meant that we still were able to maintain these large communities with huge populations you know six nations has 26,000 band members and uh I was like yeah listen like are you familiar with George Washington and how he burned 40 Iroquois communities <laughs> like that in the Sullivan it's, campaign, like there's very particular like acts of genocide against people that we have experienced, and so we all have different kind of histories in the way that's played out against us, right? I don't think people re recognize or are familiar with the fact that like Haudenosaunee people are in this part of the world essentially because of um, so many of our villages being burned to the ground and how few of us there are left. There's probably about, right. you know a hundred thousand Haudenosaunee people left in the world. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting mm -hmm. to think about, I guess, or dark to think about the mm -hmm. comparing apocalypses. Mm -hmm. You know, in those cases, you know, George Washington sends Sullivan with 5,000 men to burn down Haudenosaunee communities and chase them out of the country. So that's, you know, you're experiencing that. That's like a very clear genocidal 
near end of the world experience. You know, you're you're in it. Mm-hmm. You're hustling. You're running mm-hmm. for your life. Uh, Potawatomi have the same experience. The reason my grandfather came north, or my grandfather's ancestors actually came north, were because of the same reason. You know, these forced relocation, um, forced marches, uh, forced fleeing out of our territory, mm-hmm. escaping this. Mm-hmm not only disease, but very direct physical violence. Today, the apocalypse, the approaching apocalypse, let's not be fatalistic about it. Maybe we can... uh, The continuing apocalypse? The second iteration of the apocalypse, the bookend of the apocalypse. I mean, yeah, for you to say that there's a second apocalypse would necessarily mean that the first one ended at some point in time, and arguably it hasn't. Mm -hmm. Well, our populations have rebounded, and... Not to the same extent, not to the same extent as you point out, but uh, there, you know, there's three to five million indigenous people mm-hmm. in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best statistic for indigenous people in North America prior to contact was thirty million. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. you know, but I, I don't know that. Yeah, what. What defines the beginning and the end of an apocalypse? Yeah, I guess so. Serious I, question. I mean, so um, George Sullivan dispatched, yeah. you know, sorry, George Washington dispatches Sullivan to dispatch the Haudenosaunee after an onslaught of disease. It's very clear that the vast majority of people are wiped out. Same sort of experiences mm-hmm. with the Anishinaabek, not the same, but mm-hmm. similar. Um, and then we have this very long period of intense settler colonialism that continues mm-hmm. I wouldn't say unabated in particular contexts it's just as violent but in others it's less so mm-hmm. uh, are we still in the apocalypse yeah I would say that we're probably still in the apocalypse I mean one of our uh, faith keepers was talking in the longhouse a couple in the summer I guess and was saying that there's about 10,000 people that actually participate in our ceremonies and are, you know, put in a shoni in the sense that there are people of the longhouse and they actually are active, regular participants in our culture. And I think that's pretty near the brink of extinction, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. There are definitely more, um, you know, I'm trying to think of an endangered animal. Manatees. <laughs> Manatees are doing a little right. bit better than us. Orangutans. The humpback whales making yeah. a comeback. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, no, you're right. You think about languages. Like, there's mm-hmm. some communities where the language is just a couple years away from being extinct. And that's, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess a pretty clear indication that there's a continuity mm-hmm. of, you know, a very long period of an uh, apocalypse. Now, maybe this is, a, this is a good thing. You know, this is a, this is a good thing that's happening. Like, Nishnabek have this... We have many philosophies. We like to we have, we have prophecies, rather philosophies mm-hmm. and prophecies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the uh, we have the eighth fire prophecies, and they each prophecy denotes a you know is a signpost on our journey. Is that so one wisdom? Like, what's that? <laughs> is that one wisdom? Which one? Or is it seven? humility? No, I no, never, those are grand, I always get the mixed. Those up. are grandfather teachings. There's seven of those. So Grandfather, one, grandmother teachings. There's seven of those. <laughs> Uh, eight, there's eight fires and the, the eight fire, the first fire is, you know, our creation and then migration and, uh, uh, 
the coming of the white people, of course, and then the cataclysm of colonialism, and the seventh fire were sort of recovering from colonialism or trying to, going back on the path and picking up the things that were taken away from us, and then using those and and uh, reaching out to the to the non-indigenous people of the world and saying, listen, we have these tools to improve our relationship with the land and each other. And the eighth fire is those people accept our offering and we all live a happy life ever, you know, with the land and each other ever after. Or we don't, they don't accept it and, uh, and the world ends in destruction. Yeah. And so we have, so that's like a bad thing. But, you know, we also have these stories about Mishibiju and Nimki Baneshi, you know, the Thunderbird and the Underwater Panther that basically work together to keep humans accountable. So when we go a little bit wild, when we go a little bit crazy and, and you know, cut down too many forests or uh, uh, take the essence of the land out so that there's no spirit left, then they'll rise up and wash the earth of, mm-hmm. of humans. Um, but what I'm saying is, all of that being said, what I'm saying is what if, and if we're still in this apocalyptic period, the end of it is Mishibiju and Nimki Baneshi saying, all right, you know what? We've had enough of you assholes and we're going to wipe the, wipe the uh, earth of your presence and destructive behaviors. Now, would that be a good thing for indigenous people, for Anishinaabek? You know, we get back to square one, no white people anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Know what I mean? Yeah. That's like, so our... Haudenosaunee philosophy is a little bit different in the sense that, like, in our creation story, when it comes to this balance and, like, the balance between what some might call light and dark or day and night, essentially, right? That balance that exists. Um, Ours is um, based on chance, Mm -hmm. right? That, you know, the day and light are, are persevering because of chance. And you can kind of use luck or kind of influence a little bit, right? Try. But ultimately it's this game of chance, right? And life and uh, humanity exists because of chance. And creation is kind of outside of that in the sense that, that their balance exists unreliant on human beings, right? So I think it's a little bit of like human selfishness that says that like, you know, oh, if all the humans die, then, you know, the world's dead. And it's like, well, no, just the humans are dead and then creation will continue on. And yeah. uh, there'll be, you know, the next whatever will rise. Probably the raccoons. Mm-hmm. Um, I leave raccoons all of my possessions. <laughs> In the case of an apocalypse and humans are gone, raccoons are welcome to all of my possessions as well as my cats. Um, they can also be inheritors of my... Uh, you know, flesh and things. <laughs> cats are going to survive. Yeah, cats are going to survive the apocalypse. Um, raccoons, monkeys, cockroaches. Monkeys, eh? Yeah, I think they're, you know, they're... Red tail hawks, pigeons. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Nishnamek are not saying that humans are the most important or that if we disappear, the mm-hmm. world is going to disappear. Uh, not at all. I, uh, what I'm saying is... and I, the, mm-hmm. Maybe there's a difference between chance. I mm-hmm. think that Nishnamek are very much more about influencing the universe and thinking that we can influence the universe or trying to. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's the same philosophy. I, I, it's like we're the, mm-hmm. we're the last, last creature to be created. I mean, we're dependent on everything else. So mm-hmm. when Mishibiju and Nimki Baneshi do rise up and wipe humans off of the 
face mm-hmm. of the earth, or at least many humans off the face of the earth, then then that will allow creation to continue mm-hmm. and, and, and bring some balance back mm-hmm. to the world. So, yeah. um, so you're prepping. Uh, I think we got on this <laughs> subject because you asked me if I was prepping. And I'm not, I, you know, I probably could prep. I know how to do food storage. I know how to do, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, my biggest fear with the apocalypse is, well, for a while it was like, will it be climate? Will it be war? What will be the thing that actually ends humanity, right? Will it be Kim Jong-un and Trump fighting? And so there were, my biggest fear when it came to the apocalypse was that I have this kind of like, you know, indifferent attitude towards my personal and individual survival when it comes to that. So I feel like I would just give up very early on and be like one of the first people to die within like the first days of essentially the apocalypse. And then the whole thing just ends up, you know, sorting itself out in about three weeks. And so if I just, you know, tried a little bit, if I had put in a minimal amount of effort, I would survive. I would have survived, but... Um, and then people will just be like, yeah, those 3 million people that just gave up, like, now we've reached our climate change goals, we've <laughs> drastically reduced our population. Problem solved. Yeah. Let's go back to driving these mm-hmm. gas guzzling... The podcast car gets great fuel economy. All right, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, have you ever seen that movie The Mist? Stephen King? Nope. You know, so like aliens, hostile aliens attack humans and then a bunch of people get trapped mm-hmm. in a grocery store and a couple mm-hmm. of them try to escape and then, you know, this, they get as far as they can in their car and they realize, well, this is the end, the monsters are going to kill us. And then two out of the three, you know, die. Mm-hmm. Actually, the, 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 the guy in the movie it kills... Just, yeah. This is a spoiler. This is a spoiler. Well, so, yeah, it's a spoiler alert, but also this movie's alert. how old... Yeah, it's a bit. You should have seen it by now. Years of it. Yeah, and so yeah. the so the guy kills his son and his you know his his, his companion, and then as soon as he's got the gun to his head, the military shows up and mm-hmm. like, hey, it's all over. We saved the uh, you know we saved mm-hmm. the people from the monsters. Mm-hmm. You'd be like that guy in the mist. I would be, be the first one dead. dead. I'd be dead. I'd be dead. It would be right, whoever was my, bad my partner example. was. You would be the one that's still alive having killed your entire <laughs> we family. We would be in this car escaping from the <laughs> the grocery store. I would have just uh, <laughs> murdered yeah. you in some way. Yeah. And then uh, our mood show up. <laughs> Listen, I'm pretty annoying. I'm surprised you haven't uh, tried already to off me. <laughs> very uh, dark, very dark. Yes. Um... Yes. I will say, though, that's one of the incentives of driving and commuting like we do. Like, we don't have a bug-out plan, but I do think that, like, our usual pattern of, like, you finding your way to the car and then us leaving is, like, the one thing that will survive. Because I have friends that were commuting to Toronto during the blackout. Uh-huh. And they were taking the train and got stuck on the train for, like, three hours. And er- people thought it was, like, the end of the world then and was talking about the chaos in the streets with the subway being down in Toronto and just how everyone lost their minds. And so I like the idea of, like, the, the functionality of the car. I should probably put more effort into keeping it filled with gas. See, I always... When I think about when shit goes down... 
cars are sort of going to be useless. Well, and also... The roads are going to be clogged. You gotta, everyone that's listening to this podcast that think that is like hearing me say that I would wait for you to get to the car <laughs> is going to message me afterwards and be like, leave him. <laughs> Protect yourself. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I will be walking. <laughs> because... You will have left without me, and then you'll be stuck in traffic, and I'll be jogging alongside the 403, waving at you with my bug-out bag on my back that I keep under my office desk, full of canned goods, uh, and a buck knife. Yeah. Did you get a new buck knife? No, I didn't get a new buck knife. WestJet stole my buck knife. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Uh, so prepping I don't know I mean I think that when I was growing up uh, you know my family was big into canning and you know some hunting and that my grandfather was a fisherman and there was lots of sort of like you know you fed yourself from the land mm-hmm. to a significant degree mm-hmm. and then as I you know, I left some of that behind. I didn't think anything. I didn't think of not. I didn't leave it behind. I just didn't maintain those traditions until a bit later in life. But now I'm a hunter, and I have mm-hmm. many gun, guns. Not as many guns as your family has, but uh, a couple. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I think that I will need a gun. I guess mm-hmm. I've watched enough episodes of The Walking Dead. But uh, <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. I have a gun. I know how to hunt my own food. Um, I have relationships with other people that can also, who can also hunt and grow food. And so, you know, it's like this imaginary, grab your bug out bag, grab your gun, grab your ammunition, we'll meet on some island in Georgian Bay, and we'll start a post-apocalyptic indigenous utopian community. I mean, that's my plan after my contract runs out at my current job. (laughs) I'm just going to go and push some Nishnabek off some island up north and set up uh, my um, cult. You guys tried that one time. Yeah. And it it did not work. Worked with the Hurons. I mean, my plan is totally unrealistic, right? Yeah. So even though uh, I think that under unconsciously I think that I try to do so much hunting because I know that these skills are going to come in handy one day for when you have to feast on human flesh <laughs> yeah. but realistically when you you know you don't really get beyond that idea right like okay what's your preparation have a bug out bag well I haven't packed a bug out bag I've thought in my mind this is what I would put this is what I would put in my 60 liter portage pack if shit were to go sideways but I've never gone and done that and then it's just sort of like, oh, well, I know how to live and survive and gather food and hunt food. Uh, and I, you know, independent of the grocery store. Listen, I have all the stuff to make a fire and, you know, maintain myself in this car right now. <laughs> and I have food. So you could live. Yes, you have me. <laughs> uh, well, that will be a battle. <laughs> That's what's going to be awful, you know. We're going to, the Nishnabek and Haudenosaunee are going to turn against each other other even more aggressively i feel like that's part of like nishnabek culture is just keeping alive the memory of mohawks being cannibals <laughs> yeah well you've got the because if anyone brings it up it's you guys you're, you're like, already ahead of the game you guys have some traditional knowledge about 
sautéing dish not back, so... Listen, I still bite my nails. <laughs> uh, so if you guys um, might be doing okay, yeah. it might be alright. This is a weird conversation. <laughs> we might cut this out. This is like... So this is literally like, welcome to the Red Road, uh, no daylight savings time edition. It is... In the hellish sun traffic. Has, the sun has set... <laughs> It was dark when we got in the car. It's getting progressively darker. And it's our third attempt to, to do a podcast. Yeah, I hope you guys appreciate the fact that we're even we're even doing this. This conversation is the manifestation of our circumstances. And our frustrations with uh, how things have been going. Although, you know what? Um, I feel like I'm trying to like just dig deep into the dark humor. And you're just not giving me anything about it. What are you talking about? I'm engaging in this conversation <laughs> That's true. That's true. about shooting people with you, rifles versus you, handguns you are in the apocalypse, me. and then eating them afterwards. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm not saying that I have like passed down recipes. I'm just saying it's blood one, memory. Yeah, it will come back to you. Yeah, literal what do they call it? Memory. Long pig. Oh. I did have some delicious pork today, though. St. Lawrence Market. If you're ever in Toronto, yips in the basement of St. Lawrence Market. Great food. Oh, God. Uh, so, I think that's... I would probably draw the line there. We, you know, in our Halloween episode, we talked about the Wendigo. And this is sort of a... <laughs> this episode, I guess, is a appropriate uh, <laughs> continuation of that conversation. But... Yeah, that's where the rubber hits the road. If you're in Nishnabek <laughs> and you resort to cannibalism, you do so knowing that you're going to turn into a giant flesh-eating monster yeah. of the north. I will say our history and storytelling around cannibalism is also not favorable. But also, it was one guy. One guy. It wasn't all of us. So... I, yeah, for me, that's where you draw the line. If I, if, if the world ends and people, it's, you know, descends into this uh, individual free-for-all. Wait a second, that's sort of where we're at right now, isn't it? Yeah, we're already there. That's capitalism. Um, You've just described capitalism again. So, would I eat another person to survive or feed my family? I, yeah, I think that that's... That's that's. I think I draw the line there. But then again, I'm not in that. I'm not in those circumstances. Well, so. and also, like, I'm also at the point where, like, I was dead weeks ago. If this is where we are, right? Like, I would have, I would have uh, given up. Given up by then, yeah. So I then mean, you're not going to eat other people. You're gonna no. you're gonna try to catch those cats. I would. I wouldn't even eat my cats. <laughs> I feel like there's so much food waste in this country and on the planet. Not mm-hmm. on the planet. In this country, in the Western Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. You could probably live on the, you know, mm-hmm. half like rotten food. Yeah, yeah, live like a raccoon for mm-hmm. a good couple of weeks anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, again, I'd probably just give up. But, um... Would your, how would your ancestors feel about that, Courtney? Um, when your time comes, your time comes. Right? That's the thing, right? Like, I mean... I suppose. Um... I think my ancestors would probably get it, <laughs> to be quite honest. Um, I think they would understand. I think they would. Um, but I think that uh, I definitely think that, like, maybe I'm just saying this, and maybe when the time actually comes, my Aries and competitive nature would come out 
and I would use my charismatic leadership skills I've been honing as a young indigenous person and just, you know, start a horde and have a group of people of followers. I wonder if it's better to be in an urban setting or in a rural setting. I think rural settings way better. You think so, eh? Yeah. Because there's some scary people in rural settings. Not that there's not scary people in urban settings, but I feel mm-hmm. like you could you could form a community or draw on the community that already exists in urban centers and like hold up in the 28th floor of some cousin's condo. Mm-mm. I mean, maybe. Um... Where is you got it? any cousins with a condo? How are you going to get up there? I guess the stairs, right? Let's see if you make it up the stairs. Yeah, I don't have any cousins with a condo, but... Uh, mm-hmm. Stairs. Mm-hmm. When you're in the country, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, in some ways, there's less safety. So, I'm a contract employee. My contract ends in February. My plan is that once that happens, once my contract's done, I'm just going to, as I said, push some Nishnabek off an island... And I'm going to take my spinning wheel, which I have, buy some goats and some sheep, and go and take my cats and just go and start living on an island. I will knit my own food, <laughs> knit my own clothes, grow my own food, you know, have one of those little like underground greenhouses, and then just start living like it's the end of the world. But it takes a lot of land to sustain an individual or a family. I mean, you could live off apples for a while, but if you, I mean, you talk to trappers or hunters and their range is quite large, mm-hmm. uh, just even for subsistence hunters. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really difficult to just <laughs> all, live on a little island. and. All I'm going to have is me, this car, and a braid of white corn. <laughs> Magic white corn. And a cat. I feel bad for my other cats. I'm really only going to save one of my cats. I have a favorite cat. She's coming with me. My cat is not coming with me. Mm-hmm. But he'll be fine. Yeah, that's true. He'll totally be fine. He'll probably outlive me. Mm-hmm. So well, now he's going to out of spite with all this <laughs> slander. Right. Urban versus rural. What do you do? Do you get out of the city? Do you stay in the city? Do you... Did you ever read uh, Louise Erdrich's uh, Home of the Living God? Mm-mm. So the apocalypse, second apocalypse comes, or the, mm-hmm. continue, the second whatever you describe it as. Uh, it's sort of unclear what happens. It's like a mix of climate change and political forces lead to the breakdown mm-hmm. of social order. But it's on the reservation where people are able to hold out mm-hmm. longest and most effectively so I mean this is the subject of uh, Obgizhik Rice's Moon of the Crested Snow as well like what would happen in the apocalypse on the reserve I don't know people just carry on as they have (laughs) (laughs) what's what's the big deal what's (laughs) happening why are you all you people in the cities freaking out Mm -hmm. we've been living like this for a hundred years yeah I like to think that in times of hardship that our communities would revert to their natural pre-contact instincts and the blood member would come out and you would learn to work together in cooperation and... Uh, to eat Nishnabek. Yes, to eat Nishnabek. 
Man, and grow some corn. New credit Mississaugas are they're on the menu, aren't they? they that's why we left them there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, what do you call it? Food storage. <laughs> Got this little, you know, got the little uh, deep freeze out back. How did, I, I guess it was inevitable, but this conversation of the end of the world descended into cannibalism very quickly. When yeah. we, when we title this podcast, we're just going to have this call it yeah. the cannibal episode. Just jump right over squirrel, <laughs> jump right over rats, pigeons. I will tell you that squirrels are incredibly difficult to hunt. <laughs> this is my favorite story. I'm glad this is revived because this is a conversation we had not when we were recording, but you cannot hunt squirrels. I can't hunt squirrels. I, you see squirrels all the time in the city and you're like, what the, what's up, dumb squirrel? You give it a, a piece of bread or something, you know, you can totally capture that squirrel. My dog captures squirrels in, in city parks all the time. Mm-hmm. But when you see squirrels in the bush... They are very wily, very fast. You don't you don't actually see them that often, um, and they're hard to hunt. They're hard to hunt. I'll get my cat to give you some pointers. That's why city post-apocalypse living is going to be more productive food-wise. Because because the dumb squirrels, yeah. the dumb squirrels. Mm-hmm. Yep, I saw a lot of very plump squirrels on the weekend eating pumpkins eating people's jack-o'-lanterns they left on their step post-apocalyptic pumpkin flavored squirrel yeah mm. pumpkin sized squirrels like it I don't know there's I, I'm referencing a lot of literature uh, in this conversation strangely but I guess that's where everything I know about the contemporary apocalypse comes from however you want to distinguish what a contemporary apocalypse is. Uh, and there's this book called, I can't remember exactly what it's called, New York 2140 or something like that. <clears throat> but it's basically that, um, so humans have failed to keep the carbon emissions in check, the planet's temperatures ri- r- risen, and the sea w- glaciers melt and sea waters rise uh, very high and very rapidly. And instead of, you know, this disorganized, chaotic, anarchic, uh, breakdown of society, you know, capitalists are sort of there on the uh, on the on the uh, edge of this new investment, and are able to figure out new ways to make money. And society, at least for the very wealthy, sort of goes on. You know, so New York City, the streets are flooded, but people just start driving boats between the buildings and they go to work like usual and figure out new elevator systems and this is the premise of the jetsons isn't it <laughs> is that what happened after the after the well that happened that is like i saw this like conspiracy theory about what is the jetsons but if you remember the jetsons the people all lived in these at the top of these that's long right. poles yeah, yeah and so that's the theory right is that they're the capitalists that are living elevated in the sky above all the people that remained on earth and are just living in squalor right yeah and mm-hmm. mold infested yeah buildings yeah mm-hmm. so <laughs> I don't know if that's a utopian vision or <laughs> I guess it's a dystopian vision but well if you've got money if you're part of the 1% you can you can probably do alright you know you're, you're gonna be okay uh, yes because climate change disproportionately affects people living in poverty poor people uh, indigenous women and children yeah so that's a, another dis- 
heartening layer to this conversation. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why people like Andrew Shear and Rob Ford are just like, you know, they're happy to scrap the carbon tax because they know they're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. about Andrew Shear. Is he a rich white guy? Doug I mean, Ford's. yeah. I try not to think too much about Andrew Shear. Good philosophy. Um, conspiracy theories. Climate change and conspiracy theory. Um, no. Climate change is real. Um, my favorite conspiracy theory. What is my favorite conspiracy theory? 9-11 was an inside job? 9-11 was definitely inside. That's not a conspiracy theory. That is fact. Uh, jet fuel can't melt Sylvie's. Uh, 9-11 was not a inside job. Wow. <laughs> You've had a lot of bad opinions on this podcast. Uh, Truly one of the worst. Remember when you I'm tried to stand... To debate Remember when here. you tried to stand Robert Falcon Ouellette? No, I never <laughs> tried to stand Robert Falcon Ouellette. Give me a break. I gave Robert Falcon Ouellette a little bit of credit for bucking party discipline, and then that was couched in my broader critique of the man. So well, let's but, not try to but, exaggerate that. But not even that. There was you were like, let me just carve out this little piece for him, and then two days later he was like, Justin Trudeau does give a fuck about Indigenous people, and <laughs> just kicked all yeah, that. It's true. What little. Um, it was like in Star Wars when um, Kylo Ren cut that last little bit of himself out to become part of the Republic. Uh, Justin Trudeau is a robot. Mm-hmm. That's so bad. Okay, where are the actual conspiracy theories? I can't think of any. Um, hmm. This episode is going to be edited so heavily. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. Um, but yeah, listen, I I stand by all those jokes. Uh, if anyone has uh, read my comedy bio, uh, my bio that someone else wrote for me uh, described my sense of humor as uh, witty, dark, and provocatively feminist. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah. I think yeah. that's a good way to end. I think it's a good way to end this uh, podcast. A little bit of comedy. A little bit of comedy. Throwing, throwing oh, to wow. your yeah. comedy a bio. Joke? Yeah, I can actually tell a joke. Podcast? Yeah, tell yeah. a joke. Okay, so um, I'm a feminist, and a lot of people think that just means that I hate men, but it's not that easy. I'm an intersectional feminist. I also hate white women. Okay, that's, that's not... <laughs> We're lacking the uh, climate change <laughs> apocalyptic <laughs> angle, but uh, yeah. Get your bug bags, everyone. Get your bug bags. Here's, a, here's yeah. a climate change joke. Uh, how do oceans say hello? They wave. You know, I thought it's like climate change related because it's like rising oceans and there's. <laughs> they're all happy they're waving <laughs> the oceans okay. grow so big they are sentient now yes our battery is flashing it's going to die yes so that's it for our apocalypse episode and um, tweet us your ideas for how to survive this second wave of impending apocalypse or your conspiracy theories or 
your suggestions for what to put in a bug bag. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is that it? Yeah. Sounds good. 9-11 wasn't a conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Red Road Podcast, created by Courtney Sky and Hayden King, sounding audio editing by Humble Man Recording. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. I've been driving in my Indian car to the pond of the wheel.